Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. Today, we're going to be talking about a new meal kit service that most likely will follow the disastrous path of the others. A new study that finds higher consumption of dairy fat equates to a lower risk of heart disease and a couple problems with that study. A new water from the makers of Budweiser, our product review of one of the best risottos you can make at home, and how that device that you wear might just be the biggest enemy you have, and a lot more. We bring you our unique insights on grocery retail, sustainability, e-commerce, new product reviews, and consumer trends. Sally, what's on the radar today? Hi, Phil. As you mentioned, there is a new meal kit delivery program. Instacart has partnered with Sunbasket for meal kits. They have soups. They have um, prep to eat meals, um, a whole bunch of products that are direct to consumer, which has become a bit of a competitive space. It has. And, and if we look at Blue Apron and a lot of the other ones that fail, uh, that failed for a bunch of reasons. Number one is you did have to have a subscription. Number two is you had to order two or three days ahead. Uh, with this Instacart program, that's eliminated. Um, however, I, I have a, two, two problems. Number one is I don't think that most consumers want meal kits. Um, you know, it, it was a fad. You get all the ingredients, you put it together, you do that twice and nobody wants to do it again. And the second one is looking at the app. This is shocking to me, the prices of what they have. So, for example, for cranberry thyme meatballs, which sounds great with Brussels sprouts and sweet potatoes, $27.98. Now, it is a serving of two, uh, but still. Um, 27 bucks for that. And then the one that's really shocking to me is Vietnamese noodle salad with five spice fish and strawberries, $47.96. Are you going to sign up for this? Well, I do agree that it is very pricey. And my question would be, well, why don't I order delivery from a great local restaurant if I'm going to pay that much money? I also think that a lot of people, we've been hearing a lot of people have developed their cooking skills at home. And if they have to, if it involves some sort of prep, then why wouldn't they just go get the ingredients themselves for a lower price and use these new culinary skills that they've developed over the pandemic? Yeah, great point. Great point. Um, also, we heard just this morning that Instacart has acquired yet another firm. Instacart is is really on this tear to change their business model. Um, they just acquired Foodstorm, which is an Australian-based catering software company, and being able to take that software as an order management system for end-to-end -end order ahead and catering services that it can be integrated into grocery stores, that from Grocery Dive, uh, first thing this morning. And it's interesting, uh, one of the facts that Grocery Dive has is that according to Instacart, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that prepared foods are in 21% of all Instacart baskets. I'd like to see a little bit more data on that. Is that fresh prepared foods in the store or are they including frozen foods in that as well? Uh, because that number seems really high to me. What else do we got? 
Also today, we have a story about Done Good, a new, uh, actually, it's not new. It started in 2015, but it's grown into this space um, on the internet, donegood.com. These are products that have been sourced that are good for the planet. Um, they're companies that make sure that um, the, the makers of these products are um, making sure that their employees are getting fair weight wages. They're making sure that, the, that there's sustainability in these. So, so basically they are creating an Amazon for social change. I, I love this website. Um, I was on it this morning uh, going through and, for example, they only have 113 uh, food products right now. You know, so they've got sauces, they've got teas, they've got coffee. And especially now with what's going on in Brazil and we're hearing about all the price increases of coffee, it might be a good time to go to donegood.com and look at some of the coffees. My favorite one um, is actually called... Um, what is it called? Oh, my, my screen moved up. It's, it's called girls, girls run the world. Um, that's the coffee and it comes from Garonza Gosa. I'm mispronouncing that, um, park, um, in Mozambique and hundred percent of the profits from every bag support girls education in the national park. And the description that they have of the product is so much better than what we find on typical e-commerce sites. So on the coffee, it's a medium roast, it's hundred percent Arabica. It comes from Africa, the processing that it's natural and washed. And then it goes into a whole story um, about the product um, of, of what you would want. So check it out, um, especially on the food and drinks. And I just hope that they do great because one of the things that I really want to see happen, uh, frankly, is that they um, become really successful and they really do, you know, compete heavily with uh, folks like Amazon and give people an alternative to it. What else we got? Well, Phil, we've been looking at some apps that are designed to prevent household food waste, which is one of the main culprits in food waste globally. Um, so, so we looked at we we looked at a few of these apps, and one that I that I took particular interest in is called Cazo, and it's it, it's C O Z capital Z O. It's an app from Bulgaria, but it's now available in North America, and it's a really interesting app. You can you can input the products that you bought. Um, it, you can scan barcodes. You can it, it will alert you when something is about to expire. And my favorite part about it is that if you got something in your fridge that is going to expire soon, you can go to the recipes and you can put in, I've got tomatoes that are about to go bad and find some recipes that will give you some ideas on how to use it. Yeah, I, I love that as well. But you know, you're not supposed to put tomatoes in the refrigerator. <laughs> you know that, right? Well, yes, you have told me that before. Yeah. And okay. I <laughs> and, and also, just to reinforce the point, what they say is that 61 percent of the 931 million tons of food waste comes from our homes. Yeah. OK, what is Anheuser-Busch up to? 
Anheuser-Busch is doing what some other beverage companies are doing, beer companies in particular, that are seeing declining sales in beer, which um, is surprising to me because I thought maybe people were drinking more beer during the pandemic. During the pandemic. That's what I've read also. Yes. Um, yeah. But apparently that's not the case. So they have a product now that they're going to put into distribution that is called Shine Water. And what's special about this bottled water is that you get your daily dose of vitamin D in this water. So why don't we just walk outside in the sunlight for <laughs> vitamin D? Um, I, you know, I, I know all these companies, whether it's uh, Miller Coors, whether it's Anheuser-Busch, they're struggling to do things. But also what I found really strange is that this shine water is going to be distributed on the West Coast, in the Northeast, and in Oklahoma. Why yeah. Oklahoma? I don't get Oklahoma uh, for, for this product at all. Um, also, what's predicted by Statista is that the estimated retail sales of enhanced bottled water uh, products like this are forecast to reach $503 billion next year. So obviously, it's a category that we need to be watching. Agreed. There are so many different products. Like there, there, there's there are waters and milks with now with with B12 in them and all kinds of different supplements. Yeah, yeah. And you know, talking about food, um, there's a new study that came out that says that we should be, you know, fasting. <laughs> Yes, we we have seen if, if you're following nutrition and dieting, then for a while now, you've probably been seeing a lot about intermittent fasting. Um, this particular study is about time restricted fasting. And it's important to note the difference because intermittent fasting suggests caloric restriction. Time restricted fasting is simply not eating um, between a certain period of, of hours. And what researchers are suggesting is that that golden ratio of time spent fasting is eight to 16 hours. Now that seems really broad, but um, the idea is that if you are eating, let's say you eat a snack at night before you go to sleep, then your glucose levels are going to go up and your cells are going to be working really hard while you're sleeping. And so the idea is to be, is to give your cells a break from for a certain period of time. So I do that every day when I sleep. I don't eat when I sleep. <laughs> Do you sleep 16 hours? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't sleep 16 don't hours. <laughs> Seven to eight hours. That's about it. So it's time for the leper report. Contrary to what we've been told for years, a new study suggests that people who eat more dairy fat have a lower risk of heart disease. An international team of scientists studied the dairy fat consumption of over 4,060-year-olds in Sweden. Now, why Sweden? Sweden's population has one of the world's highest level of dairy consumption, so it makes sense. They started out by measuring the blood levels of a particular fatty acid that's mostly found in dairy foods. Experts then followed this cohort for an average of 16 years to observe just how many had heart attacks, strokes, and other serious circulatory events, and how many of them actually died. 
Researchers found that those with high levels of the fatty acid had the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease, as well as no increased risk of death from all causes. Then the researchers confirmed these findings in other populations after combining the Swedish results with 17 other studies involving a total of almost 43,000 people from the U.S., Denmark, and the U.K., Maddie Markland, senior researcher at the George Institute for Global Health in Sydney, Australia, and joint senior author of the paper, said in a statement, we found those with the highest levels actually had the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease. These relationships are highly interesting, but we need to further have studies to better understand the full health impacts of dairy fats and dairy foods, she said. The study went on to say that increasing evidence suggests that the health impact of dairy foods may be more dependent on the type, such as cheese, yogurt, milk, and butter, rather than the fat content, which has raised doubts if avoidance of dairy fats overall is beneficial for cardiovascular health. Our study suggests, they say, that cutting down on dairy fat or avoiding dairy altogether might not be the best choice for heart health. There's an important caveat. They also added that it's important to remember that although dairy foods can be rich in saturated fat, they're also rich in many other nutrients and can be a part of a healthy diet. However, other fats like those found in seafood, nuts, and non-tropical vegetable oils can have greater health benefits than dairy fats. Alice Lichtenstein, director and senior scientist at Tufts University Cardiovascular Nutrition Laboratory told CNN that her biggest concern was that the study results could be interpreted to suggest that all full-fat dairy products will reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, adding, the bulk of data do not support consuming full-fat dairy products to reduce CBD risk. She said that the study data showed that the group with the highest biomarker of dairy intake also had among other things, and get this, and this is why this study is very questionable, a significantly lower BMI. They were more physically active. They had a lower smoking rate, lower rates of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, a higher level of education, higher intakes of vegetables, fruit, and fish, and a lower intake of processed meats, a higher diet quality all factors associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. So just maybe there's more to the headline of high dairy fat and heart disease. So what can we expect as an outcome? Lots more confusion, lots more advertising and social media pushing high fat dairy. Top line is we need to take a much more holistic look at all these studies, what we eat, how we live, the composition of our bodies, all the factors before we start publicizing and misleading our shoppers. On Tuesday, I had the opportunity to talk to the real life star of the carbon neutral pig. The new docudrama from U.S. farmers and ranchers in action, Marlo Ivy Vaughn, who's a fourth generation pig farmer in North Carolina. Here's an excerpt of what she had to say. So, Marlo, before before we let Anne um, chime in on on climate change, um, I can sense in your in your voice um, and in your face that you're really angry that there's a lot of people out there that are blaming uh, farmers and ranches uh, for climate change and 
how do we fix that? I mean, do we have to get busloads of school kids, you know, to to come to your farm um, and and to see it and to touch it and, you know, touch the soil? Um, How do we how do we change this behavior? I think it's all about um, the narrative. I think that farmers and ranchers, we need to get um, and participate in, in films like I did and, and start telling our ag story. I mean, I think that's the biggest way that we can combat it. But it's also getting involved with the people that are making the political decisions that are involved in climate change, just like Ann's, you know, and U.S. farmers, ranchers participation in, in the food summit. I mean, we farmers have got to have a seat at the table. And we have not had the seat, our seat at the table when we're talking about for food production. There's no farmers around to sell their, their story. So in, until we have the opportunity to have a seat at the table, um, you know, we just have to keep on telling our farm story. So it's time for our new product review. I grew up in Belleville, New Jersey. And if you were a fan of The Sopranos or just saw the Many Saints of Newark film, you know that my neighborhood was primarily Italian. And what that meant was great food, whether in restaurants or in my friends' family kitchens. I learned to love and maybe crave risotto at an early age. And now that I'm in Southern California, it's harder to find a really great risotto one that isn't smothered in cheese or cooked correctly. I can now stop searching. There's Right Rice. The plant-based brand now has expanded its line to include risottos. I tested the creamy cracked pepper and it's delicious and so easy to make. You just boil it for five minutes. You let it sit in the pot for another seven minutes covered and get out your fork. It's one of our top scores at 94. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, has a low glycemic index and is a complete protein with each 50 gram serving containing 10 grams of protein. 180 calories, only two grams of fat, but tastes like it has a lot more. 380 milligrams of sodium, which I wish was a bit lower. Five grams of fiber with less than one gram of added sugars. It's made from a recipe of lentils, chickpeas, peas, and rice. Be adventurous. You can even add pieces of shrimp and you're bound to impress. Retails for $3.99. And now it's time to hit the bullseye. If you're a baby boomer, you may have a distant memory of the protests in the 1960s against cable TV. One issue was about having to pay to actually watch TV shows. After all, we did have three networks and public television. Who could want more? The other issue was that with the cable wiring into our homes, it could allow the cable companies to know exactly what we were watching and invade our privacy. Fast forward to 1997 and Netflix was born, a brilliant service that does capture the program we watch and then serves up suggestions of similar programs that their algorithm calculates that we would enjoy. Seemingly a benefit and certainly a convenience. But what's happening with that data behind the scenes? Today, we have about a thousand cable channels. Just this past Sunday on 60 Minutes, Francis Haugen, a former Facebook employee who filed complaints with the federal law enforcement about the company, disclosed how Facebook's own research shows that it amplified hate, misinformation, and political unrest by collecting data on their users and being able to better understand them. She has the proof. 
not only is she a data scientist with a degree in computer engineering and an MBA from Harvard, but before she quit her job this May, she secretly copied tens of thousands of pages of Facebook's internal research. Years ago, I discovered that nothing was private any longer. Many of us blame the internet or social media, but it started well before that. And yes, it's because of the advances of technology that has accelerated the issue. Back to being a kid. My first loss of privacy incident arose when I was about 13 and I was talking to a girl on the phone. I heard a strange noise in the background. And since there was no one else at home, I quickly figured out who was breaking into my privacy. Those days, the phone companies offered what was then called a party line service. Basically, it was a shared service line that was less expensive than a private line. And it was offered as a two, three or four party line. In 1959, the Bremen Telephone Corporation offered a residential private line, get this, for $4.40 a month, as compared to a two-party line at $3.80. So my parents saved 60 cents a month. My family had a two-party line, and the other party was listening in. There were a bunch of flyers and ads that tried to make party line adequate rules. The good party liner, cooperation improves party line service. How good a telephone neighbor are you? A party line is like a barn raising. Well, today we feel a lot more insecure about our privacy than ever, and with good reason. A column appeared in The Guardian on Tuesday that brought back all these memories to me. The column by Simon Usborne explores how big tech now encourages us to monitor everything from our heart rate to our glucose levels on our smartphones and watches. How much privacy have we lost to the promise of self-improvement? And is it time to stop, he asks. DNA testing kits are all the rage to uncover what we should eat. What are those health factors that we are susceptible to and how to improve our lives? Many that I speak with about these new technologies don't want to go near them. They won't even join the ancestry services to uncover the lost secrets of their families. And for one reason, they're afraid of what happens to the data. Usborne shared that a few years ago, in a fit of his grown-upness, inspired by new fatherhood and his dad's early death 20 years before, he took out life insurance. Like many policies, it links premiums to lifestyles rather than crude metrics such as age and life expectancy. His Garmin HealthWatch account transmitted his step counts and activities to his insurance policy. Every year as the policy renews, it calculates the points that he's won by walking far enough or the amount of calories that he's burned, and that affects his insurance status and premiums. The more active he is, the less likely he is to die young, and the less he pays his premium. Good news for him and those who exercise on a regular basis. Bad news for those who don't, who could face higher premiums or even the loss of coverage. Batad Anya is a reader in media and digital culture at King's College in London and a specialist in self-tracking. She says the constant advances in tracking have given tech companies new ways to keep selling their latest devices while happily collecting the data we generate and sign away without reading the terms and conditions. You don't own that data, she says. 
Apple promises to encrypt and guard the multiplying streams of health data it collects for us. But what are those third-party apps and services that have their own privacy policies, which we never actually read? Life Signals, a California startup, has developed a chest patch to measure signals, including breathing, temperature, even posture, and noted a spike in demand last year from big businesses that wanted to screen their staffs for COVID symptoms. NatureQuant, a startup in Oregon, is developing an app to track and rate the time we spend outside, not how many steps, but where we step based on the well-established health benefits of fresh air and green space. The company gathers data, including satellite imagery, street view photography, road densities, and measures of air pollution to score any location here in the U.S. GPS location tracking then pairs the user and the place. NatureQuant reports that we're in conversations with big insurance providers to provide NatureDose as a tool to improve population health, according to Jared Hanley, the company's CEO. Privacy policies vary between health apps. Earlier this year, the New York Times analyzed the policies of 250 iPhone apps, including 20 health and fitness apps. 13 of these apps shared data with an average of three third-party trackers, many of which pass the data to advertisers. It's time we actually read those very long, boring privacy policy statements before we click on agree. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you again right here on LinkedIn Live or Facebook Live next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern.